shop Mattress Firm's year-end sale and put an end to junk sleep. Save up to $500 when you get a king bed for the price of a queen or a queen for a twin. Plus, get a free adjustable base with qualifying Sealy purchase, up to a $4.99 value. Or shop top-selling brands and get up to 50% off select mattresses, like Sealy Twin Mattresses starting at $224.99 or Serta Twin Mattresses at $349.99. And shop with confidence thanks to our low-price guarantee, only at Mattress Firm. Restrictions apply. See store for details. Gearheads know that some projects need so many parts, it feels like you need a whole storage unit just to store them. That's what eBay Motors' 122 million parts are for. Think of it as your virtual parts garage. They've always got the right fitment at the right prices. Use the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride. Hey, everyone. This is the Almost World Podcast. Bringing to you mind-blowing interviews with guests from all over the world. So settle down, relax, and enjoy the show. Oh yeah, by the way, if you like the podcast, please support Elmo's World Podcast on Patreon. Your support is what helps the podcast improve more and more. Welcome to Elmo's World Podcast. This is Elmo. I'm, I'm an awesome friend, Daniel. Hey man, can you introduce yourself? Uh, yeah, yeah. Hi, yeah. I'm Daniel Mann. And... Uh... I've been teaching at the New York School of Bible for just about 30 years now. And it's been a, a blessing to be able to do that because there's nothing more exciting for me than getting into the word. And I've written a number of books and you can find them on Amazon and Kindle. And uh, uh, let's see, what else should I say? I come from a, a Jewish background and I hated everything Christian. And uh, I, had, uh, I was searching but I wanted God my way. And as a result of that, I wasn't finding anything. And so I had this horrible, I had, I had tried, I, I lived in Israel for a few years as a Zionist thinking that I'll go to Israel and I'll, I'll find peace of mind and the, and the joy that I was looking for, but it didn't work that way because you carry your problems along with you wherever you go. And we're not able to lift ourselves out of, out of our problems it's only in Jesus Christ. Anyway, uh, I gave up looking after a while because I wanted God my way. And of course, he's not going to fit into my specifications. And, and so uh, I came back to the States and my wife and I, we decided we would try to live naturally on the land, you know, hoping to find peace of mind that way. It didn't work out. Instead, I had a horrible chainsaw injury and I was bleeding to death. I thought my next breath is going to be my last. And suddenly I realized I wasn't alone. I realized that God was with me and, and nothing else mattered anymore. I was filled with joy. I knew that he loved me. I knew that he would take care of me. I knew that even if I died, he would be there for me. And so uh, I was in ecstasy. And I knew there was only one thing that was important. And that was finding out the truth about God. Because as I said before, I was searching but I, I wasn't really interested in the truth. I just wanted a God who would make me feel good about myself, that would give me a peace, make me feel loved. And, and so this is the first time I think I really prayed for the truth. 
And so that started me on a long search for the truth, which finally ended up in being convinced that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And so I've been living with him ever since, 43 years ago. And uh, it hasn't always been easy. In fact, my first number of years were very difficult. And looking back at it now, I think that he has to burn certain ideas and attitudes out of us so that he can fill us with what he wants to fill us with. And so my whole purpose now is just serving God, serving the truth. I feel like I've been taken captive, and I'm glad I've been taken captive, because nothing else is as satisfying and as meaningful to me as serving him. Um, so can you talk about like um, that, why you were a Zionist, uh, you know, be, um, on what it meant to be a Zionist, and why you, lit, like, you left that stage of your life? Okay, well, a Zionist is somebody who believes in the state of Israel believes that there should be a homeland for Jews because I don't know if you're familiar with Jewish history. We've been, we've been being killed off wherever we went throughout history. And that's, that was my experience too. Not that I was getting killed off, but I had gotten into so many fights in school by people who said all sorts of bad things about me because I was Jewish. And so I dreaded going to school. You know, I, I dreaded having anything to do with school anything to do with Christians. In fact, I was, because I couldn't fight them all, I just responded with such hatred, that hatred such a powerful drug, I actually felt that Christians and you know all the Gentiles around me, because they're not Jewish, I regarded them as Christian. I actually believed that they had a different odor. And it was hard for me to get on the elevator with too many of them because uh, I really felt, I felt the odor. Now, the Lord has brought me a long way in these 43 years, and I married a woman who's not Jewish, and so I don't have that experience. In fact, I, uh, you know, Jews who believe in Jesus usually call themselves Messianic Jews. I don't call myself that. I just call myself a Christian, and sometimes I get into disagreements with them about their priorities and the way they see things. And so, you know, what's on my heart is, is really to bring unity to those who are really believers in Jesus, as Jesus had prayed, you know, that we should be seeking the unity in love of the church, that people might look at us and know that we are truly believers, we're truly his disciples, and he is the truth. What do you mean by unity, like Christian unity? Right, right. And you're a Christian, aren't you, Elmo? Okay. So Christian unity is, um, you know, if we're really brothers and sisters in the Lord, and we're really, in a sense, in some sense, we're part of one another, you know, we should be mourning with those who mourn, rejoice with those who rejoice. We should be loving one another. And so love actually builds unity. And so we need to find those ways that we can minister to other people. But generally speaking, people in general, we have so many crying psychological needs that we want to receive rather than to give. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So what about the, like, you know, okay. Let's start with the Messianic Jews, though. Like, you know, they disagree with you because, um, you know, they, I guess Jews are 
believe in the Messiah and that they believe that Jesus is the Messiah and so they call themselves like Messianic Jews, right? But and though they sort of differentiate themselves from normal Christian, but what makes you different? Like you are Jew, you're Jewish, but you don't identify as a Messianic Jew. Why? No. Well, there are certain differences and you know, they're different. They're different. Sometimes they believe that they have a special calling to follow the Old Testament. And uh, I disagree with that. Sometimes they feel that they should uh, marry a Jewish spouse. And I disagree with that. Now, if they personally feel led to do that, you know, for the sake of ministry or something like that, I have no problem with that. They also, there's a tendency also to separate from the Gentile church. And so that's something I disagree with. Because, again, it gets back to that unity thing that, that we all are one. But yet I, I regard them as my brothers and sisters in the Lord. But there are differences. And there's something else, too. You know, after the Lord has put me through so much, he began to show me things about myself that are not really great. You know, for instance, uh, I felt so bad about myself that what I would do was try to build my my self-esteem up, my pride up, and, and to believe in myself. And, and one way for a Jew to, to do this very easily is to think, well, I'm part of a people that God is so gifted, and we've, we've been so successful, we've won so many Nobel Prizes, and, and so look at us. And, and God has gifted us in certain ways, but I also see that we have certain crying needs at the same time. And so I see the pride because I saw it myself. I look back at it, you know, and it's something now that appears so ugly to me. And I see it in my brethren, you know, especially my Jewish brethren. And so I, uh, I try to expose that. Now, of course, people don't like being exposed. But again, what are we called to do as Christians? And I think one thing, yeah, is to encourage one another, to love one another. But also, if we see our brother in sin, you know, I think we have to say something. Like this, this separating from the Gentile church. And, you know, it's not just the Jews who do that. You know, minorities do that. You know, black people do that. You know, they maintain these, you know, they accuse whites of being racist. And they truly, they had to endure a lot of racism in the past. And that's true. But things have changed so in the States, you know, that, that to maintain these attitudes, these racist attitudes, and putting white people down and and trying to maintain a difference or forcing whites or accusing white. You know, there's a banner that Black Lives Matter carry, which says, uh, which says, white silence is white violence, which means that if you don't join our cause for social justice, that means you are violating us in some way. And so you've got to prove yourself by joining our cause or we just regard you just as another corrupt white person. I mean, that's bad. That shouldn't be that way in the body of Christ. You know, whether they're believers or not, I'm not here to judge, but that's terrible. And so there are times that we have to point out the sins of our brethren. 
you know, in hope of something better. Why? Well, God does that with us. He points out our sins. And so I think we have an obligation in love, in humility, removing our own blindness first to point out the sins of our brethren. Anything that's keeping us from the Lord. Well, okay, but when, when we're talking about like unity, right, among Christians, though, there, then we're going to talk about like unity in like the theology and uh, and 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 control, like uh, administration and all of that. Or, or did, is it something like you you mean like just cooperation and just collaboration? Is that what that kind of unity that you're looking for? And that's that's part of it because if we are unified as one, we are going to work together and we are going to cooperate. Instead of wanting all the glory and recognition for ourselves, we're going to try to focus first of all on our brethren and, and build them up in the faith. So, how do you suppose you? Yeah, we could overcome like the theological differences. Then, like you know, some some Christians prefer to to go their own way because they they will ultimately disagree with other Christians in terms of what they should believe about the Trinity or the salvation. How do you think we could overcome that? Well, I think the main way is by meditating upon the word day and night in prayer, because the Holy Spirit works through that word and transforms us through that word. And we begin to see differently through that word. And we begin to know the mind of, of Christ and to know what he cares about so that we can adjust our life according to him. And also through, you know, starting with the word and starting with prayer, but also in acts of love and acts of caring for other people, because it touches people's heart, you know, to, to care and to, and, and to show that, that we're really interested in them and what they have to say and who they are. So do you think that um, if you, all Christians sort of unite in love and prayer and, and working on this, like letting the Holy Spirit speak, them, speak to them, they would sort of agree on like one theology, like Christian theology? Well, I, I think there are always going to be some differences. Because the Bible says we only see in part. But I think as we continue to meditate upon the word and live to love other people, you know, we're going to move closer to the Lord. And, and the closer we move to the Lord, the more we're going to begin to think like the Lord. And the better we'll be able to tolerate those differences instead of dividing over them. Now, sometimes you have to divide. You know, sometimes the, the differences are so serious that you don't have anything in common. For instance, some people don't believe that the Bible's the word of God. And of course, they have to fill the vacuum that that creates with all the revelations from their culture. Well, do you consider the, the Roman Catholic Church and the Greek, like Greek, or like Eastern Orthodox Church as like part of this Christian unity as well? I would like to think so. And even, even though I come from an evangelical church, you know, I recognize that not everybody really believes. And so I'd say the same thing is true for the Catholic Church and the Orthodox Church. Even though I have more doctrinal differences, you know, with them, yet I do believe that there are sincere believers in those churches. 
And if there are, I mean, my first move would be try to establish commonality between them. And I think only once you do that, can you begin to feel safe enough to talk about those doctrines that separate us. And yeah, there are doctrines, there are important doctrines that do separate us. But you know, these same doctrines separate me from other evangelicals. For instance, I differ from the Catholics and the Orthodox in terms of the second commandment about not making any images to represent God. You know, of course, and these images are gonna be used for worship or to affect the way we think about God. And so I think, I think what we need to do, let me just backtrack, that, that I disagree with them. And I think, you know, I see myself, I have those tendencies. For instance, I'll give you an example. When I would go to a, the dentist, for me, it would be a very traumatic experience. I dread it. Anyway, it would be so traumatic that on the dentist chair, I would begin to envision Jesus coming to me and hugging me and holding me so I can get through this experience. But then I started thinking, oh my gosh, this is wrong. I shouldn't be doing it because what I'm doing, I'm worshiping the Lord through my own imagination, something that, that much of scripture actually argues against. I should be worshiping the Lord through what he has given us and the way he has prescribed worship through his word. And so instead of visualizing him hugging me, I should be thinking about the promises that he has made to me, the way he has revealed his love to me. These are the things I need to think about. And I think this is a this is a truth that pertains to everybody. But I don't want to bang people over the head with it. In fact, I have friends in the evangelical church. Most of them disagree with me. You know, most of them will make uh, movies about Jesus. And they'll have this fancy actor, you know, with long hair, but very, very, very attractive, playing Jesus. And each time I see that, I go, oh, my gosh, it really turns me off, even though... It, it might be very well done, and there might be a lot of precious truths there. I mean, portraying Jesus according to our own model is not something that we can do scripturally. At least that's the way I believe, and maybe I'm wrong about that. Mm -hmm. But so, okay, what you, what you're proposing though is sort of very idealistic, and I probably I don't think it will ever happen though. Like this unity among all Christians, especially. Um, you know, Protestants and their disagreements with the Catholic Church and Orthodox Church and all that. But maybe, I guess, in a way, we could all unite and see each other all as human beings. Sure, maybe that way. But I don't think anyone, any, like, most would settle for, for like, the, you know, settling theolo theological, theological differences. Well, you're, you're right. You're right. I mean, we're not going to agree on all matters, but I would like to work in that direction. And you know, when I meet Orthodox and Catholic believers to find those commonalities. And there might not be, they might not really be people who are trusting in the Lord. And if they're not trusting in the Lord for their life and, and the needs that they have and everything else, if they're not, then they're, they're not really brethren. And so I would like to move them that way. And I, I write essays 
and I publish them on Orthodox sites, on Catholic sites, on Mormon sites. You know, and uh, you know these these are essays that are strictly biblical. They're not critical, but sometimes they kind of realize I'm not one of them, and I do get kicked off the group. Right, maybe we could then uh, talk about like um, more more of the basics um, and go back to say like why you believe in God. Can you sort of start there and then? Sure. Yeah. Um, yeah, that's a really important question today. Uh, uh, first of all, I believe in God because he opened my heart to believe. And if he hadn't opened my heart to believe, you know, like Jesus said, he said, this is this is the condemnation that the light has come into the world. Men have loved darkness because their deeds are evil. And even if I might have looked like a good person on the outside, I really wasn't. I was filled with hatred and contempt and jealousy and all that other stuff. And, and so, you know, why do I believe? Well, first of all, Jesus revealed himself to me, you know, when I was dying and he revealed himself in, in, in other ways. And I'm still, I'm still wanting to be fed by him and that because I'm a, by nature, I'm a big skeptic. I've always been a skeptic and it's hard to change my nature. And so I'm always looking for other reasons to believe. And so one of the books I read, I wrote, was uh, the Bible, why believe that it's God's word? And because I struggle with this question. And so I search for objective intellectual proofs because, well, what if I just imagined God while I was dying? Maybe, maybe it wasn't really him. You know, how do I know for sure? And so these are the types of, these are the types of uh, doubts that I confronted myself with, not willingly, but I couldn't help it. It was just me. I just needed certainty. And along the way, the Lord has given me a lot of mental, cognitive, intellectual certainty. And that's why I read the book. I wrote the book. Now, that book, you know, why I believe the Bible is the word of God, is now going to be followed up with another book. I don't even know what the title is, but it's going to come out next month. But it's it's proofs for the existence of God. You know, can, you, can you talk about what these proofs are? Yeah, yeah. There's there's a lot of proofs that that God exists. There are there are uh, there are scientific proofs. There there are a lot of arguments. Like there's the argument from design. That's the most common argument, because everywhere we look. You know, we see that everything we see is designed, even chaos. We even find patterns in chaos. Well, we consider chaos. We look at the smallest atom, and it's a marvel of design. Everything we see is designed. We look at the planets. We, we look at even the, even the laws of science. And these laws are immutable. They don't change. And they're elegant, like... Look, just think about Einstein's uh, famous formula, E equals MC squared. It's got to be precisely squared. How is it that these formulas are so precise, so elegant, so simple, and, and so knowable, as if God is saying, I want you to know me. I want you to see the evidence of me. And, and so oftentimes, though, you know, you got these militant atheists out there. And I think you've interviewed some, Elmo. You know, some militant uh, atheists. I've interviewed a lot. 
Yeah, and uh, these guys, you know, they are really close to the evidence. So, you know, what I when I'm dealing with these militants, what I say, they'll say, "Prove God, prove God." And, and so, what I'll, I, I will do is, I, if they're really hardcore, I'll say, "Okay, I'd be glad to prove that there is a God." But first, what I'd like you to do, just so I know I'm not talking to a machine, I would like you to prove that you're more than a machine. Then I'll, I'll gladly prove to you God. And you know what? They <laughs> get angry because they realize correctly that they can't even prove that they exist. Not to my satisfaction. You know, I can prove that God exists, but not to the satisfaction of a guy who doesn't want to listen. And so sometimes you got to do that. Sometimes you've got to just show them, well, look, how can I give you? You're putting me on the spot. You want it's not very provide. Christian love and unity, though, isn't it? When you fight atheists, uh, well, I'm not trying to create unity with them, you know. Like, you look at things that Jesus said, he was very strong with his language against the religious leadership, he wasn't trying to. Uh, create unity. So is that is that what you like? Is that how you generally um, debate atheists, like militant atheists? I guess like like do you you know sort of become in in that sense uh, fight uh, fighty? <laughs> no, no, I don't fight. I I try to be playful, and I try to to say you know I just want to show them because it's an object lesson. And I think it's a valuable object lesson for them because what they're asking me to do, according to their standards, is to do something that they cannot do even about their own existence. And so sometimes, as Jesus revealed to us, the most loving thing we can do with a militant atheist is to show them they really don't know what they're talking about. That can be the most loving thing. You know, Jesus, excuse me? Uh, yes, I agree with you. Okay, sure. Like maybe they don't know what they're talking about. Uh, granted. Um, so why? Um, how can you derive like God from this intelligent design of the universe? Maybe it's like a simulation. Maybe we're just, you know, um, created by some alien out there. Why does it have to be this perfect, loving all-loving, omnibenevolent God. Okay, even if it was a simulation, a hologram or something like that, somebody had to design it. Yeah, maybe maybe it's not a loving God then. It's just a, an alien or a deity. The question, the question is, how do we know that this God is a loving God? Well, there are many reasons. First, in my case, it started out very personally. You know, I had this experience that God was love. But then... You know, being the big skeptic I was and experiencing a lot of depression at the time, you know, decades of depression and panic attacks and experiencing all that, it was hard for me, you know, during this period of time, which was many, many years, to really believe that God loved me. Maybe God is the master deceiver and maybe he is a sadist. And maybe he created the Bible to deceive us. And certainly if he's God, he's got the power to do that. And how could I know for sure that he didn't? Well, the answer was very simple. The answer was, if God really 
died for my sins. He couldn't possibly be a sadist. He couldn't possibly be a deceiver. He had to be who he claimed that he is. Jesus had to suffer tremendously on the cross. And, he, and the Bible even teaches that he was a man of sorrows. And so the evidence, the historical evidence that Jesus died on the cross is almost unassailable. That, that you can, even the Romans acknowledge that. The Talmud, the Jewish writings acknowledge that. And so he did die on the cross. Now, he, did he die willingly? Well, it certainly seems like he died willingly. You know, he never renounced what he, what he had come for. In fact, he helped them in his trial to get himself crucified. And so a lot points to a God of love. If you look at this world, you know, the fact that most people don't commit suicide, people value life. They regard life as a gift. And, you know, truly it is. I think we take it for granted being the sinful people we are, you know, but, you know, we get hungry and God satisfies that hunger with food. We get thirsty. God satisfies that thirst with water. We get lonely. He satisfies that loneliness with other people and, and with friends and with family. And basically, he gives us health, a health. Now, there are many other factors involved, but the big picture is that God really cares for us. And not only that, he's given us dominance over the entire planet here. You know, we're in charge. You know, it's not the cows or the pigs, or the mosquitoes. Basically, human beings are in charge. So um, um, then you, with all, with all of this, right, you believe that God exists and he's an all-loving God and that in the, by the historical accuracy of, of Jesus' resurrection, then that's why you believe that in Christianity, right? Okay. So in, in this sense, then, um, how do you determine uh, what your theology is? Like, what you should believe about the doctrines and everything? What's, what's your method? And what, what do you currently hold in that area? Like, for example, let's say salvation. Yeah, I, I take very seriously, you know, again, I, I get all my cues from the Bible and my attempt to understand the Bible. And I believe the Holy Spirit is intimately involved in this process if we're really looking for the truth. And let me just digress a little bit because, you know, I've been in the Lord now for 43 years. And my first several years as a believer, you know, I was just looking for the verses that would make me feel good about myself. God had to burn that tendency out of me to the point that I just want his truth. I don't claim credit for this. But this is what God has taught me. He's taught me through painful. I don't want what makes me feel good. But I know his truth eventually will make me feel good. I just want what he wants, what he has for me. I just want to know who he is. I, I want to know the truth. I want to know that I am walking in his light. And so that's where it comes from. You know, it's got to be God working in my life. Because if God wasn't working in my life, I would just take those verses that make me feel good about myself. That's it. That's what I did for the first couple of years. And the other stuff, forget it. If it didn't make me feel good about myself, forget about it. <laughs> That's the way we are.
Mm, so in a way, you you're saying that um, the you determine doc what the doctrines you believe by the revelation of the Holy Spirit to you throughout your life. Yeah, the Holy Spirit working through Scripture. Now, not to say He can't work through other means, but extensively, it's always been through Scripture because experience is not enough to teach us. We have to know how to interpret that experience. And that comes from the Bible and the Holy Spirit kind of illuminating our minds through the Bible. Okay, that's cool, man. And uh, so, so can you talk about like a specific thing that you believe about salvation? Like, let's say, oh, uh, I okay, I believe Jesus Christ was resurrected and this is, and this is the Son of God, but what is salvation and how do I get it? Well, salvation is, is number one, being reconciled, well, being transformed. You know, our heart has to be changed. You know, there's a word in the Bible called regeneration. Our, our heart has become hardened with sin. And, and it's got to be regenerated. It has to be cleansed and purified and washed. And, and, and so the Holy Spirit does that. And when it is, we begin to see things that we had never seen before. We begin to see, yes, God did die for my sins. This is true. There must be a God. Because I wouldn't have believed in that. I was what you call a nihilist, meaning that I didn't believe in anything. It's very common today. I believe that people just invent their beliefs. There's really no truth in this world. It's nihil, nothing, nihilism. And so uh, I had seen a, a five highly recommended psychologists, you know, earlier in my life. And each one left me more screwed up than I was before. And, and what I absorbed from them, even though they didn't preach it directly, was that we, human beings, are just a product, just a result of the way we were raised and also our genetics. And that's the way we are. We're just a result. And some of us are a good result, and I happen to be a lousy, a bad result. And, and so it was very, very depressing for me. And I felt I didn't have the power to change myself. So that was a, a, a double weight that I had to carry on my back. And so uh, I kind of lost my chance. Where was I going with that anyway? Oh, about, about believing in salvation. Yeah, yeah. So You know, I, I found that salvation cannot be earned. You know, even though it was very plain to me that it couldn't be earned, it was God's grace alone when I was dying of that chainsaw injury. After a while, my human thinking took over. And I believed that, ah, I have to be worthy of God. There are certain things I have to do to deserve salvation. And you know what? God had to burn that idea out of me. He had to show me there's no way you can earn anything from me. There's no way you can be good enough because any one sin will damn you. And in fact, everything I did was contaminated with, with my sinful nature. And so I was trying to prove myself worthy. But the more I tried, the more I was sinking. The more I began to see I, I am not worthy. And it just brought me down and down and down until I began to read scripture with a different set of eyes and began to realize, you know, it's not about me. It's not about me being good enough. It's not about me deserving God's salvation. It's not about me even getting a thank you from God, earning a thank you. 
I can't because any little sin, God can't stand. It's like being in a room with a corpse and the corpse smells so badly, you got to run. God said, I've got to separate myself from these people lest I destroy them because of the sin. And he had to send an intermediary who we believe is Jesus Christ to be with the people. Anyway, anyway, so, so I began to learn, it was a slow process for me, that I just got to receive salvation as a free gift. I can't earn it. I can't deserve it. He's just giving it to me because he loves me. And he's worked in my heart to produce faith. It's a free gift. And the Bible explains in many places so that we don't boast. Because I don't know about you, but my tendency is I want to be recognized. I want to boast. I want to think I'm somebody special. And, and you know, we're all special. We all have our own gifts. But I had to think that I was better than other people. And God showed me, no, you're not. <laughs> you, you're, just, you're just the recipient of my gift, my free gift. Because if you thought differently, you would start boasting. And I know that's true. Oh, yeah, yeah. And, um, okay, my, my question then to you is that, you know, you're a Christian and you seem to be very, very uh, in tune with, you know, and uh, how the Holy Spirit works in you and you respond to his revelations and, you know, and having relationship with Jesus Christ and having faith. So how how do you, I guess, as a Christian, like what would you tell someone who would be interested in the gospel, right? And maybe someone who's a Jewish too, of, of you know, and culturally and religiously, like how would you tell them that, look, you know, Jesus is the Messiah. He is the one that we waiting, that we were waiting for. And he, he is the answer. How would you tell them? Oh, you know, like with Jewish people, I, I might say, well, what makes, why do you think, why do you believe that the Jews have been so successful? And I point out some verses that point out that God has, has given them this gift so that they might be successful. But he also warned them that as soon as you begin to kind of take the credit for yourself and turn away from me, you are going to fall. I'm going to turn my back on you and everybody's going to hate you. And, and, and they are going to consume you. And, and this has been Jewish history from the beginning. That they would turn away from God regularly. And everybody would hate them. And everybody would destroy them and kill them. And, and so I would ask them about it. What makes you, why is this so? That the Jews have been more blessed, but have suffered more than other people. Why is that? It's the very thing that God promised in the Bible. And you know what else he promised? He promised that his own people would reject him and they would reject his Messiah, his Savior. And look at what has happened. It's just as the Bible tells us. But I have to confess something to you, Elmo. Even though I come up with all these answers, trying to save people, trying to evangelize them, bring them to the Lord, I don't have a good track record. And I hope, I just pray by God's grace that I'm planting seeds, you know, things that might come back to them later on that might make a difference. But you live in the Philippines, right? And, you know, in the Philippines, it's a lot different than in the West. I mean, the West is closed. There has been so much bad press about Christianity and about Jesus. 
and, and just total all the time negative characterizations. And so people aren't interested. I go on Facebook. You're on Facebook too. Maybe you've done this. But I go to these uh, groups that are for witches. You know what witches are, right? Witches, you know, like uh, casting spells and, you know, witchcraft, paganism and all that. And it's really interesting. You know, I'm kind of jealous because there's so many young people going to going to witchcraft, witches and pagans. They love that stuff. It's so popular for them. All the time you see new people coming in and they want to learn. They want to be taught. What books do I use? What, what rocks do I use? What incense? What spices? And what spells can I cast? They're just so hungry for that stuff, but they enter into that world blindly, blindly. And I come out being so jealous. Why aren't they, why aren't they hungering for what is real food? And they're not. And it, it breaks my heart. And it's been a learning experience being there. And I, I, will, I will talk about Jesus a little bit. And for some reason, they still haven't kicked me out of their groups. But probably some people have gotten angry at. Me. Okay, uh, it, one last question, man, because um, it, I think uh, we at an end. Uh, but um, can can you tell me then? Um, you know, what is your what are your plans for your life right now? Which uh, where where do you think God is di directing you? You know, leading you to to. To, to use you in in his own way you know and um maybe you could also be, like give an encouragement to someone who was also wants to to be a part of this evangelical i know the, the great commission and everything and and yeah what would in your in words of encouragement maybe yeah you know the bible says that if god is for you who can be against you and you know faith is not about a feeling you know it's nice when you do have the feelings accompanying faith but faith is a commitment And so just commit yourself to the Lord, commit yourself to his word, commit yourself to believing in his promises that he can take the lowest of people and raise them up. And it doesn't matter how broken you are or how disadvantaged you, then he can take the lowest of people and raise them up. I was a complete basket case. If he did that with me, he can do that with anybody. And in terms of my plan, what I'm doing now, I, I've been teaching at the New York School of Bible for 30 years, or 29 years, actually, Tw uh, 29, and, uh, and I write. I've written a number of books, and you can get them on, uh, on Kindle or Amazon. Uh, I, uh, I am giving, I'm starting to give webinars now, you know, little hour and a half teachings, and uh, that's exciting. And I, I take baby steps. You know, Lord doesn't just give me a book or a map and saying, here's where you're going to be at this and this time. This is what you got to do. You just take a step at a time. That's all. And just trust that the Lord is guiding you. That's what I'd say. That's what I do. And so I, I continue to write. I continue to teach. And now I'm just adding these webinars. And I've been, uh, I've gone overseas in a number of missions trips as teacher. And that's been a very rewarding experience, even though I hate traveling. 
but when I'm there and, and interacting with other cultures, I love that. I love learning. You know, I love I love l- listening to other people and understanding their experience, and that I find very enriching. Uh, but you know, in this COVID world, I don't know if I'm going to be able to do much of traveling. I, I'm 73 years old now, and, and so I don't like traveling that much anyway. And, and the older I get, the more I need my my different regiments and need this and that in order to keep going, and it gets it gets tougher. And I just, I continue to pray, Lord, use me as ever you want. And, and I know it's, a, that's according to his will. And the Bible says, if we ask according to his will, just say, Lord, I want to be your servant. And I want you to use me to the full extent. I want to follow you wherever that might lead you. You can be sure he's going to answer that. That's according to his will. He promises if you ask anything according to my will, uh, you know that, that I've heard it and you know that you're going to receive it. And so that's what I try to do. And again, you know, I don't have any big hopes of saving the world. And when those hopes do come up, I kind of slap myself down because I know some hopes can get you in trouble. <laughs> you know, they could, they, they, you know, we want to be the savior. We want, and you know, our ego sort of gets the best of us sometimes. Uh, I guess I covered that, Elmo. Is there anything else? Yeah. And, um... I guess uh, what, what I guess one last question then um you know I I myself you know I I'm struggling with uh you know some some of the theological stuff but um how you know when it comes to the, your you know you you are very uh, focused on and you emphasize the working of the holy spirit and you know what how it speaks to you through the word of god right how how do you know what that it is the Holy Spirit is not some just hallucinate. Yeah, that, that's a good question. Well, first, it has to agree with Scripture because the Holy Spirit authored Scripture. And, and so any guidance he gives you has to be according to what he offered. He authored because he's not going to wake up one morning and say, oh, my gosh, I should have wrote otherwise. It should have said something different. I think I made a mistake. It's not going to happen that way. You can trust in that. Now, how do I know that the Holy Spirit is leading me? You know, in one way, I happen to be a very weak person, you know, very vulnerable to all sorts of anxieties and and fears and everything. And it's a good thing because the Bible says that when we're weak, it's then we're strong because then then we have to rely upon Jesus. And so there are times that when I when I come up against something I don't understand, something uh, uh, that confuses me, I experience a meltdown you know, a a major meltdown. And so I'm tormented until I can work it out. And I meditate upon the word. I walk, you know, I I pray when I walk. And so I'm praying, Lord, show me, help me to see it, help me to put this together. And my gosh, I get the answers that, that God puts it together for me in a way that gives me peace, that satisfies my mind, that brings everything together in a way that I couldn't do by myself. And so that's a big way. And then when I look back at the things I've written and the things I've taught, even though my understanding has deepened over the years, when I look at the first book I wrote, I think it was... uh, um, 2003 or four, 
I look back what I wrote and there's really, now I might've changed the style. Maybe I would write it a little differently, but the ideas haven't changed, which kind of shows me that there's a, a continuity in my life and teaching to which I can only credit the Holy Spirit. Daniel, thank you so much for your time, man. It's been awesome t talking to you. I've learned so much and um, I really hope that um, God will bless your path and he will use you and to plant more seeds, man. Awesome. Oh, okay. Thank you so much. So that's the end of it. Thanks for tuning in, guys. This is your host, Elmo Ador Jr. And thank you for listening in. And please subscribe. Please follow us on Facebook. Please, please follow this. Please. Thanks. Give your heart some love with circulation-boosting bioactives proven to improve blood flow for better oxygen and nutrient delivery. Boost circulation from day one for better cardiovascular performance that keeps improving over time. Try Cocovia Cardio Health Supplement, available as a capsule or a powder. Visit Cocovia.com today. That's C-O-C-O-A-V-I-A.com and use coupon code CCV20 to get 20% off your order. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent disease. It used to be hard to find the exact auto parts you needed, and that meant spending a lot of time at swap meets. It's a different game now when you can order exactly what you need from eBay Motors. They have 122 million parts, so you can always find the right fitment. Spend less time searching and more time building with the eBay Motors app or visit ebaymotors.com. Let's ride.